The following presentation is brought to you by the Realm Network. Buzz Burbank, news and comment. March 16th, 2017. Thank you very much for listening and for shopping through my Amazon links at buzzburbank.com. I actually saw a Facebook post this morning that said it is better to be slightly less informed than to listen to the biased media. Less informed, and then some, is what we're up against here. But still, we persisted. The good news is Trump Care would save taxpayers nearly $340 billion over the next 10 years. The bad news is tens of millions of people, most of them old or poor or both, would lose their health care insurance. $24 million is the estimate from the nonpartisan Congressional Budget Office over 10 years. 14 million people will lose their insurance next year. And no one again automatically gets preventive care. Long range, the number of people losing health insurance will surpass the populations of 15 of our states. The Trump-publican plan would nearly double the number of uninsured Americans, reversing the goal of Obamacare. Trump says CBO numbers are not to be believed, just as he once said about unemployment numbers, climate change numbers, poll numbers, and a birth certificate. And although he's asked that his name not be attached to this new plan, Democrats have taken to calling it Trump Care because he so strongly supports the bill to repeal and replace the now popular Affordable Care Act. The new bill is in reality called the American Health Care Act, this bill that Trump and congressional Republican leaders support. House Speaker Paul Ryan, who loves the tax savings, says this plan is much better than the ACA. Ryan says the AHCA will give insurance shoppers more choices and lower premiums. But the Budget Office report says those lower premiums won't appear until after yet another spike. In other words, the premiums will be lower after the current price goes up again. The difference in the two plans appears to be in their names. Gone is the word affordable. But a closer look at the bill reveals what a gift it is to the wealthy. While a 30-thou-a-year worker may get 2000 bucks back to apply to his premiums, a person in the top 1% income bracket would get $33,000. And the super-rich get a super break. People in the top one-tenth of a percent income bracket would get back nearly $200,000 a year to apply to their insurance. The sick, the elderly, and the poor will have a harder time finding insurance and an even tougher time affording it. Under the Republican plan, rates for seniors could go up 750%, although Republicans say they're working on that. In fact, even Speaker Ryan admits this bill cannot pass without some changes. And the health care bill Trump and Ryan so enthusiastically support does not deliver on several important promises made by Trump the candidate. It does not make it possible to shop across state lines, and conventional wisdom says that's not going to happen anyway, as Trump had promised. It does not include the price transparency championed by candidate Trump. It is not inexpensive, as he promised it would be, and it does not, quote, take care of everybody, as he promised. Perhaps the best news about the plan is that it very likely won't be approved by Congress. Democrats hate it because it doesn't keep and fix Obamacare. Conservative Republicans hate it for being too much like Obamacare. Moderate Republicans are shaken by the Congressional Budget Office report. They believe the CBO, even if Trump does not. And if this does fail, Republicans have no plan B for health care. 
But failure to repeal and replace Obamacare, says Trump, will result in a Republican bloodbath at the polls in the midterm elections next year, possibly leaving Trump up against a Democratic Senate or even a Democratic Congress. Likewise, if the Republican plan does pass, millions would lose coverage and pay higher premiums, and that too could mean a Republican shellacking a little over a year from now. In a way, the public has already spoken. Nearly 13 million people have signed up for Obamacare since the first of the year as Congress set out on its joyful task of dismantling it. Well, over 16 million people who wouldn't have insurance without Obamacare have it now. For now. Lower drug prices was a promise by candidate Trump, but as president, he may have put another fox in charge of another henhouse. Big Pharma is cheering Trump's choice of Scott Gottlieb to head the Food and Drug Administration because Gottlieb's been a public champion of that industry for years. He's not new to the FDA. Gottlieb was deputy commissioner when W was president. Trump also could have done worse here. He'd also considered an outspoken critic of the FDA who wanted to gut the agency. And although Trump has said he'd like to get new drugs to market faster and with less testing, Gottlieb is not expected to go along. When he was on the campaign trail, Trump scoffed at the numbers from an agency that knows numbers pretty well, the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics. He called their numbers phony, argued that the actual unemployment was eight times higher than reported, and called those reports full of nonsense. That was candidate Trump. But when the Bureau announced last Friday that unemployment had dropped from 4.8 to 4.7 percent and that we'd added nearly a quarter million new jobs in a month, the White House was celebrating those statistics from the first full month of Trump's tenure. Experts say these latest numbers are a reflection of the job growth that started in the Obama administration. Oh, you can have a better economy, but it's going to cost you a little. Based on its belief that U.S. economic growth is strong, the Fed raised interest rates by a quarter point this week. That'll add 30 or 40 bucks interest a year to the average credit card bills and between $300 and $400 more a year on a mortgage. And even more rate hikes are on the way. The days of deep discounts on interest rates to get the economy working are over because the economy is on the move. Trump, meanwhile, is still the only president since Nixon to hide his federal tax returns. A few state returns leaked out, and now somebody sent a copy of Trump's 2005-1040. The revelation was deeply disappointing in terms of detailing Trump's possible business ties to other countries. It was just the two sides of the 1040, showing only what Trump earned and what he'd paid in taxes. He made $152 million that year and paid, yes, paid, 38 million in taxes, about the same 24% rate that most of us pay. Trump had to pay that much thanks to something called the alternative minimum tax. That's a tax Trump once repealed, and for good personal reasons. Without that minimum and his $103 million deductions that year, he would have paid only $5 million in taxes instead of 38. It's good to know why a president supports the tax policies he supports like repealing that alternative minimum tax. The White House predictably criticized the dishonest media for reporting these illegally published tax returns. There is nothing illegal about reporting such a thing. Such reporting is, in fact, protected by our First Amendment. On Twitter, predictably, Trump wrote that he didn't believe that someone would anonymously send his tax returns to a reporter, calling it, predictably, FAKE NEWS, in all caps. 
Conservatives are both outraged that someone would publish a person's personal documents and thrilled that these documents prove Hillary Clinton was wrong, that Trump does pay taxes, or at least he did that year. That $103 million deduction, however, could be carried from year to year, so it's possible he never paid taxes again after 2005. Of course, we'll never know until we finally get to see his tax returns, just as we've seen the returns of every other president for the past 40 years. So he can either release them, or they can continue to leak. But we're told there's no connection to the election hacking, but the Justice Department has just indicted four Russian nationals, including two known Russian spies, for hacking Yahoo email accounts, targeting Russian journalists and opponents and certain U.S. government officials, including members of the Obama administration. More on this, no doubt, as it develops. The chart that now hangs on one wall of this studio shows at least a dozen connections between the current president of the United States and the Russian government. Half of those connections are directly with the Russian government. The other half are with Russian businesses, which in Russia is the same thing. A dozen is a lot of names for most of us to remember as we go about our lives, and then there are all the Russian names to go with those. But these connections, a few in particular, are important for protecting this country's interest and its influence in the world. With aggression from China, Russia, North Korea, ISIS, and Iran, and a gutted U.S. State Department, which we'll cover shortly, America's interest and influence certainly do seem to be at risk. And despite all the names, what's clear are the connections. Trump National Security Advisor Carter Page may be the most direct link so far between the new president and the Russian government. It was Page who traveled to Russia just before the Republican convention last summer with the approval of the Trump campaign. And it was Trump National Security Advisor J.D. Gordon who said he got the party to soften its stand on Russia, but that he did so at the specific request of Donald Trump. Also at that convention, Russian Ambassador Sergei Kislyak, who met there with Trump Attorney General Jeff Sessions. Also there was Russian military intelligence Konstantin Kalimnik, who had assisted former Trump campaign manager Paul Manafort when Manafort was consulting a Russian-backed president in Ukraine. All this at the Republican convention with Trump's people. Kalimnik, now safely back in Russia, says he was there to get the one candidate who'd listen to push for a softer U.S. position on Russia's intervention in Ukraine. And that was the very issue on which Trump advisor J.D. Gordon says it was he who got the Republican Party to soften that position, which is the only contribution, the only one the Trump campaign made to that platform. The only thing the Trump campaign cared enough about to want to change in the GOP platform was that the party soften its stand on Russia after Trump campaign officials and others had met with Russian officials. Quoting former British spy Christopher Steele's report on Russia's Trump dossier, the Trump team had agreed to sideline Russian intervention in Ukraine as a campaign issue. And that is exactly what happened. Although some of Steele's claims about what's in that Russian dossier have not been proven or disproven, the hookers, for instance, several of the claims have proven to be true. Among the unproven claims, that the Russian effort to get Trump elected, quoting Steele, had been conducted with the full knowledge and support of Trump and senior members of his campaign team. And now there are hints of evidence that claim may also be true. The first WikiLeaks release of emails stolen from the Democratic National Convention came just before the Democratic Convention. For Trump and Russia, the timing was perfect. 
For one thing, it came about an hour after the release of the Billy Bush tape that had Trump talking about how he'd grab women by the genitals. For another, it cast a cloud over the Democrats' convention just before it began. So it began under that cloud, which included embarrassment to the Clinton campaign and the forced resignation of party chairwoman Debbie Wasserman Schultz. The timing was perfect, perhaps too perfect. And that WikiLeaks dump before the Democrats' convention was the first of many that would continue right up to Election Day. How is it that former Trump advisor Roger Stone tweeted on August 21st this about Clinton campaign manager John Podesta? Trust me, it will soon be Podesta's time, he wrote. And a short time later, Podesta's emails appeared on WikiLeaks. How is it that 30 minutes before the sixth WikiLeaks dump, Russian television would report it had already been released? And now Roger Stone admits he did have a brief Twitter conversation with the hacker who claims to have stolen those Democratic emails. The hacker goes by the handle Goosefer 2.0, and this Goosefer says it was he who gave the stolen emails to WikiLeaks. But it was early in October, long before that first brilliantly timed WikiLeaks dump, that former Trump advisor Roger Stone tweeted, Hillary Clinton is done. WikiLeaks? Even with all these Russians and Trump people and spies to track, the dots are now practically connecting themselves. But some troubling questions remain. Did Russia get everything it hoped for, getting the U.S. to soften its stand on Ukraine? Or does Russia want, and have the leverage to get, even more? Perhaps that's where Trump Secretary of State Rex Tillerson comes in handy. Tillerson, the oil man who became business pals with Vladimir Putin, is now running the State Department without a deputy. He hasn't named one yet, reportedly has his eye on another man who's friendly with Russia. And in the meantime, Tillerson's also without the top four people in that department who've either been fired or retired. Between them, these experienced diplomats and strategists have 150 years' experience no longer employed by the U.S. government. They've served presidents, Republican and Democrats, since the 1970s. Carter, Reagan, Bush 1, Bill Clinton, Bush 2, and Barack Obama. These top four diplomats have between them well over a century of nonpartisan service. They navigated us through the fall of the Soviet Union. But to this administration, these professionals just aren't needed anymore. Secretary of State Rex Tillerson seems okay with that, with losing this brain trust and $20 billion from the department's budget. He won't answer questions about any subject, including this one. And Tillerson won't comment on the expected cutting of the State Department budget by about a third. He just smiles for the cameras. All of this is the best possible news for Vladimir Putin, who hates the U.S. State Department for bringing down the Soviet Union, for which Putin was a spy. Putin was angry at former Secretary of State Hillary Clinton for calling out his last election win as phony, which it was. Putin still hates the State Department for the sanctions it enforces over its expansion into Ukraine. So to Putin, an empty U.S. State Department is the very best kind, and so that wish also appears to have been granted. The State Department cutbacks are terrible news to the top two U.S. generals working the Middle East and Africa. They say Trump's State Department cuts will make their jobs harder, take away some of the partners that will help the U.S. military win hearts and minds. They want their military successes to last beyond the time our soldiers leave. They want military success that endures. And these top two generals in that part of the Middle East say they cannot do that without a fully staffed State Department. 
Republican Senator Lindsey Graham agrees, quoting him, ISIS will be celebrating, adding, U.S. cannot win the war if we gut the State Department budget. And then there's the Friday night massacre that occurred over at the Justice Department. Toward the end of the last day of the week last week, 46 U.S. attorneys across the country were ordered to resign and to pack up their stuff and be out by midnight. Replacing U.S. attorneys is not unusual in a young presidency, but firing all 46 at once is unusual. Bill Clinton holds the record, firing 93 at once, but they all got notice, and there were immediate replacements. Firing 46 without notice is both cruel and unprecedented, and firing them without replacing them is bizarre. And 47 others had already abandoned their posts after the election. The absence of nearly all of our federal prosecutors has crippled the federal law and order machine across the country, especially in New York, where Preet Bharara was one of the U.S. attorneys. But Preet Bharara did not go quietly. He tweeted he would not resign. They'd have to fire him. And so they did, after originally asking him to stay. He was asked to stay by candidate Trump and later by Attorney General Jeff Sessions, and he agreed. But now that he's fired... Mr. Barrara cannot continue his work successfully prosecuting corruption cases in the state in which Trump Tower is located. He can no longer investigate the Deutsche Bank, which laundered $10 billion for crooked Russian businessmen, a bank that is owed hundreds of millions of dollars by Donald Trump. Also, Mr. Barrara had just been asked by a coalition of ethics groups to investigate financial ties between Trump and various foreign powers. And Barrara cannot continue his investigation into Fox News, where it appears Trump got the idea to fire the prosecutors from Fox anchor and Trump supporter Sean Hannity. A friend of the Fox News founder is being considered as Barrara's replacement to investigate the millions the network paid to settle sexual harassment allegations and other business practices. But Barrara's investigation will go nowhere now, because now Preet Barrara is gone, along with at least 45 other U.S. attorneys. The Departments of State and Justice are not the only government offices with or soon to have a lot of empty chairs. Trump's proposed budget reportedly includes the biggest personnel cut since the aftermath of World War II. That proposal, out today, makes massive cuts in housing, environmental programs, research, and foreign aid. A president who promised jobs is about to deliver a harsh blow to Washington, D.C. and its Maryland and Virginia suburbs. Unemployment in that region would rise nearly 2%, while income would fall by 3.5%. The value of people's homes would fall by nearly 2%. Those thousands and thousands of employees won't be needed in Trump's America, where government is small and regulations virtually don't exist. Trump wants to focus on military might instead hoping to cut $54 billion from domestic programs to pay for $54 billion for the Pentagon. But those domestic programs do not require nearly the money we spend on Social Security and Medicare, along with the money we spend to pay interest on the country's loans. And neither Trump nor Congress want to touch any of that. So domestic programs are the target, then, for cuts to pay for a military buildup, an approach that didn't work for Ronald Reagan— who more than doubled the national debt with this plan over his eight years in office. So Trump likely won't get the budget he's proposed, especially since each lawmaker has his or her favorite government programs. Yes, Trump's budget proposal is out today as expected. Among the cuts we see now, 
one-third of the State Department budget, one-third of the EPA budget, all funding for the arts and public broadcasting, and all legal aid to the poor. But because Trump's budget also calls for deep cuts in foreign aid, his budget is also doomed to failure. Or so we're told. The fate of Trump's latest Muslim ban and the latest on Trump's bizarre wiretapping claim. Plus, Florida's stand-your-ground defense doesn't always work. That and lots more after this. It's a familiar story, but it's about a company that began much the same way as the network that brings you this newscast. But this story is about a couple of college students who wanted the kind of stylish watches they were seeing on others, but like a lot of college kids, they were broke. Nothing that stylish with any kind of quality was affordable. But a little research showed them that quality and fashion don't have to be expensive if you cut out the middleman and sell direct to you online. So little by little, they started their own watch company in much the same way we started. Even that company's name is high fashion, MVMT for movement. People will ask about your movement watch with its classic design, minimalist style, and quality construction. These are watches that would sell in a department store for four or five hundred bucks, but movement makes them yours starting at just 95 bucks with free shipping and free returns. That's why movement is the world's fastest growing watch company, now with over a million sold in over 160 countries around the world. And because you listen to this program, you get another 15% off that already amazing price. Just go to mvmtwatches.com slash R-E-L-M. Be like us. Join the movement. mvmtwatches.com slash R-E-L-M. Trump's second attempt at a Muslim ban has now also been stopped in its tracks, same as the first, mostly because it's basically the same ban. Within 24 hours after the new ban was announced, a judge ruled in favor of a Syrian refugee who challenged the first ban to bring his wife and daughter to this country. Within 72 hours after the new ban, a half dozen states had challenged it in court. Hawaii, Washington, Minnesota, Oregon, New York, and Massachusetts were the first six states to file for an injunction, and they took their case to much the same court that struck down the first ban, the very first order Trump had signed as president. In fact, these states say the new ban is so much like the old ban, it violates the injunction that killed the old ban. Last night, a federal judge in the Hawaii case issued a nationwide injunction against Trump's second Muslim ban, Trump calling the ruling an unprecedented judicial overreach. He says the court rulings make America look weak, a frightening message to send to both our allies and our enemies. Trump says he'll fight this ruling all the way to the Supreme Court, where there is a conservative majority, so his Muslim ban could still happen. This morning, a federal judge in the Washington state case issued a second injunction to stop the second ban. What it really is is the second failure in Trump's attempts to get the Muslim ban he promised in the campaign. And that ban is one of only two things the Trump administration has done since taking office. Health care and the Muslim ban, both apparently dead before they even got off the ground. The latest development in the military's Nude photo scandal was first reported by, of all places, Business Insider. It reported the scandal may not just be in the Marine Corps, but in the other branches as well. Business Insider reported another website, one where anonymous members could post nude photos of female service members. 
The posters got to be anonymous, but the women again had their names and locations posted online. Although the Pentagon is investigating the Marine scandal, it has not yet ordered a wider investigation of this photo sharing. The other military branches have, however, confirmed they have started their own investigations. The Air Force, for one, is investigating, it says, because of the Business Insider's report. Back in the Corps, the Marine Commandant says he is outraged at what he calls the online behavior that's attacked our Marine Corps values. The Marine Corps has a problem, said General Robert Neller, adding, and we intend to fix it. He asked female Marines to trust him when he says he's outraged that, quote, many of you haven't been given the same respect when you earn the title of Marine. To the male Marines, Neller said, how much more do the females have to do to be accepted? He then went on to list heroic women who died in Iraq. Heller made himself abundantly clear with the words, we will take action to correct this. But critics say the Commandant's words rang hollow since this has happened on his watch and that it's taken so long for him to address it. But changing a culture isn't easy, and it starts before active duty. Another new report just out shows an increase of sexual assaults at two of our three military academies, Army and Navy. At the Air Force Academy, the number of sexual assaults is down. And then there are the hookers and the champagne-fueled sex parties in the higher ranks of the military. Senior officers wasted tens of millions of taxpayer dollars in their hedonistic pursuits. Retired Rear Admiral Bruce Loveless, who led the Navy's intelligence operations, was arrested this week at his house in San Diego. Nine others were indicted, including an active-duty captain, an active-duty commander, and several other retired commanders and officers, including a retired Marine colonel. That brings to 20 the number of people indicted in a Justice Department investigation called Fat Leonard. That would be Leonard Francis, who got sensitive military information in exchange for hookers, gifts, parties, and booze he lavished on these officers. Fat Leonard saw to it that the officers got $25,000 watches, $2,000 boxes of cigars, $2,000 bottles of booze, and $600 a night hotel rooms, plus the hookers and sex parties on U.S. warships that lasted for days. One night at the Shangri-La Hotel in the Philippines, Leonard bought the hotel's entire supply of Dom Perignon as part of a $50,000 dinner bill. Francis, a Navy contractor, also got help in overbilling the Navy by more than $20 million. Now these high-ranking military officers who called themselves the cool kids are paying a hefty price. The charges will not be dropped against a Florida man who claimed self-defense under the Sunshine State's Stand Your Ground law. That was the man, the retired cop, who shot a fellow moviegoer to death during an argument in the previews at a Tampa theater a little over a year ago. The gunman had tried to defend himself in court with the Florida law that allows anyone to shoot anyone if they feel threatened by the target. It's always been controversial, but especially since it spared George Zimmerman from murder charges in his killing of Trayvon Martin. In the case of former officer Curtis Reeves, the judge has ruled he may not use stand your ground to argue self-defense. Prosecutors say the shooting was instead a textbook example of second-degree homicide. The shooter was a big man with a gun. The victim was armed only with popcorn. So Reeves still faces those second-degree murder charges. As he told detectives right after the shooting, if I had it to do over, it would have never happened. But you don't get do-overs. 
By suppressing a key piece of evidence, did Ferguson, Missouri police paint Michael Brown as a real bad guy, a guy they say had just robbed a convenience store not long before he was shot to death by former officer Darren Wilson? A new documentary includes video that indicates Brown had not robbed the store, although he does appear to trade a small bag of weed to its employees in exchange for some cigarillos. Police withheld the video of that transaction, releasing instead only the video that shows Brown shoving his way out of the store. The store denies the weed story and says Brown shoved his way out because they hadn't agreed to any trade and had demanded their cigarillos back. Ferguson police say they did not release the video at the time because they didn't believe it was relevant. The first deadline came and went for Trump to prove or withdraw his claim that Obama tapped his phones during the campaign. The House Intelligence Committee had respectfully asked the new president to put up or shut up after Trump compared Obama to Nixon and McCarthy and called him, quote, bad or sick. The committee had given Trump and his people until this past Monday to show evidence or retract his latest outlandish claim. But as that first deadline arrived, Trump, through his new Justice Department, asked for more time. The Intelligence Committee granted him seven more days. The new deadline is this coming Monday, when the committee opens its hearings in an investigation Trump himself had requested. It now appears Trump got the idea he'd been bugged by Obama based on a report from the right-wing news site Breitbart, run until just a few weeks ago by Trump advisor Steve Bannon. Now Trump has to show us any sign he or Breitbart are right. The FBI and a ranking member of the Intelligence Committee say there is no evidence. And now even the Republican head of the House Intelligence Committee says that after a week of hearing from people who would know, there is still no evidence anything got tapped at Trump Tower. The White House says it is extremely confident that Trump's claim will be proven, and Trump says it'll all be clear in about two weeks, which is another 10 days past his second deadline to cough up some evidence. For all the records being kept about the Trump administration, some are being lost, at least by the government. When this president fires off an early morning rant on Twitter, he sometimes goes back and deletes it. Deleting the remarks of a president could well be in violation of two federal laws, the Presidential Records Act and the Federal Records Act. Concerned about that, top members of the House Oversight Committee have sent a letter of warning about this to the White House and 55 federal agencies asking what they're doing to comply with these government records laws. The ray of hope for historians may lie in an independently run Internet archive that keeps Trump's tweets, even the ones he later deletes. Obama's account was set up to archive itself and did so. A 1960s ad man creates a 2017 campaign, Oscars movie preview, and Florida hilarity in the third and final segment, up next. With everything going on, it's pretty easy to forget stuff, including birthdays and anniversaries. Was it your sister this time? Your mom? Your spouse? With ProFlowers.com, you can schedule their gifts ahead of time, any date you wish, and get back to your life. It's a special gift of beauty right to their door without costing a fortune. And with Pro Flowers, it's always a perfect gift, guaranteed fresh for seven days or your money back, and they aren't kidding. I've used Pro Flowers time and again, and they have never let me or her down. 
She's always delighted when that box from Pro Flowers arrives at her door. And right now, because you listen to this report, you can save 10 bucks on any order of $29 or more if you enter the code R-E-L-M when you check out at proflowers.com. For as little as 19 bucks when you use the checkout code RELM. But that $10 off also applies to a range of flowers and plants, including a dozen red roses or their famous 100 blooms bouquet. And if you do forget a birthday or anniversary or forget just about anything, you can say, I'm sorry, and save 10 bucks and power this show with the code R-E-L-M at proflowers.com. Thank you for using my sponsors and for supporting this free news through the PayPal button at buzzburbank.com. Has the seriousness of climate change been exaggerated? Have scientific studies been edited to promote a frightening conclusion? No, according to a survey of the studies that got published and the ones that didn't. In Sweden, scientists checked to see if there was a publication bias, whether studies that doubted climate change were rejected in favor of those that concluded climate change is real. They found no publication bias. Those published studies didn't get published because they took that side, but because they were based on math and science. Quoting one climate researcher, it's a major problem if politicians don't trust science. In the past week, we've learned that the warming of the planet has boosted the salt content of the Nile River, putting the fresh drinking water of millions of people at risk. In Louisiana, the wetlands are shrinking thanks to a coastline that's closing in by a half inch per year, which is four times the world average. From big catfish to sturgeon to freshwater dolphin, large freshwater fish are now said to be at the greatest risk of extinction. And a new study out this morning says climate change is making the whole world sicker, especially with respiratory ailments. Brick-and-mortar stores continue to struggle for survival, and that includes the likes of a chain some call Needless Markup. The very upscale retailer Neiman Marcus is thinking about selling itself to Hudson Bay, which is owned by Saks Fifth Avenue, which also owns Lord & Taylor. Neiman Marcus owns Bergdorf Goodman Luxury Stores and a line of clearance stores named Last Call. Soon, all seven of the chains may be just one company. Neiman Marcus's revenue had fallen another 6% in the first quarter of this year after a rough 2016. At the other end of the shopping spectrum, the discount retailer Gordman's has filed Chapter 11 bankruptcy and vanishing from 22 states. After a year and a half of falling sales, Gordman's is selling all 106 of its stores and everything in them. Everything must go to pay off the company's debts, all as online shopping takes over. In the fictional TV show Mad Men, which began about 10 years ago now, Madison Avenue's fictional Don Draper pitched a campaign to the makers of Heinz Ketchup. In that fictional story, Heinz rejected the slogan, Pass the Heinz. Now, in real life, Heinz will use the slogan created by a TV character. The credit will go to the agency now handling Heinz, the David Miami agency, but it will also go to Mad Men executive producer Matt Weiner, who owns everything his writers wrote and everything his actors said. Also credited for the ad, the firm of Sterling, Cooper, Draper, and Price. Kong, Skull Island, was king of the box office at theaters in the U.S. and Canada last week with $61 million. It was a big money weekend for Hollywood. Second placer Logan made another $38 million. Get Out made over $21 million. Will they win again next week or has something new come along? 
Now here's this week's movie preview from Realm Network Arts and Entertainment editor Omar Latiri, brought to you by Fandango. Opening this weekend, March 17th, 2017, we have T2 Train Spotting. Set 20-some years after director Danny Boyle's breakout heroin hit Train Spotting, Ewan McGregor returns as Renton, who comes back from traveling abroad and reunites with his Scottish gang. Rated R. There's the Belco Experiment. In a twisted social experiment, 80 Americans are locked in their high-rise corporate office in Bogota, Colombia, and ordered by an unknown voice coming through the company's intercom system to participate in a deadly game of kill or be killed. The Belco Experiment is rated R. We also have Song to Song. From renowned director Terrence Malick comes the story of two intersecting love triangles set against the South by Southwest music scene in Austin, Texas. Starring Ryan Gosling, Rooney Mara, Michael Fassbender, and Natalie Portman, Song by Song is rated R. And finally this week, one of the most anticipated movies, Beauty and the Beast. The latest live-action remake of a Disney animated film stars Emma Watson as Belle and has an all-star cast including Dan Stevens, Luke Evans, Josh Gad, and Kevin Kline. The voice cast also includes Ewan McGregor, Ian McKellen, and Emma Thompson. Beauty and the Beast is rated PG. For Buzz Burbank News and Comment, I'm Omar Latiri. Thanks, Omar. For theaters and showtimes, previews, tickets, and so much more, and to support this free news, please use and bookmark the Fandango link you'll find at buzzburbank.com. And listen to Omar on his show, ARC, Arts Review and Commentary, right here at realmnetwork.com. I had no idea a street sweeper could do 65 miles an hour. In a suburb north of Seattle, a man stole a street sweeper and led police on, yes, a high-speed chase. A county contractor had gotten out of the sweeper to use a handheld leaf blower and left the engine of the street sweeper running. That's when police say Tyler Hogwood jumped in and sped away. The chase at up to 65 miles an hour lasted for 10 miles. They had to use tire spikes to stop the stolen street sweeper. Among the obvious charges, a parole violation. Lawyer, lawyer, pants on foyer... We'll go out this week with a Florida handful of stories from the home office. That's four, by the way. In Miami, a young lawyer was arguing in court that his client was not guilty of arson, that his client did not intentionally set fire to his car. And then smoke began to rise out of the young lawyer's pants. And where there's smoke, Stephen Gutierrez ran out of the courtroom determining it was an e-cigarette battery that had overheated in his pocket. The jury will either believe, gee, that could happen to anybody, or they will see the lawyer's pants fire as a stunt to create a shadow of doubt about his client's guilt. Since the lawyer already had several of those batteries in his pocket, it could have been such a stunt, and prosecutors are now investigating. The judge may find the young lawyer in contempt. You know what they say about pants on fire. In St. Augustine, Florida, a sheriff's trying to determine how a five-foot-long dead shark wound up in the parking lot at Walmart. The store's about five miles from the beach. Walmart employees had called to ask if it was okay if they just threw the dead shark in the trash. Deputies are suspicious, especially since the shark carcass was found near one of the RVs parked at this Walmart. State Fish and Wildlife hauled away the body, along with one found that same day in the driveway of a house in North Beach. Known for a lot of things, good and bad, Florida has a lot of alligators and a lot of sinkholes. In a spot that's thankfully in a state park in Sarasota, 
has both in abundance. It's a sinkhole full of gators. A sinkhole that's 200 feet wide and nearly 140 feet deep, filled, of course, with water. And since gators love water, there are maybe 200 of them there. Mr. Ranger says we should stay at least 100 feet away from gators as they can run, for short distances, at 35 miles an hour. How fast can you run? And mind the sinkhole. And finally, while most people would try to keep a cobra snake out of their house, Brian Purdy of Ocala, Florida, was trying to get his back in. If Florida is the home office for these stories, then Ocala is its headquarters. Ocala's given us a litany of oddly amusing stories. This time, it's about an escaped cobra. Fish and Wildlife got the call about halfway through the 11 o'clock news Monday night. Brian Purdy, who has a license to carry a two-foot cobra, and a trainee had accidentally let the snake slither away. After an hour and a half of looking on their own, they hadn't found the snake. They did find a big lizard that had also escaped, and the lizard was bloated to indicate it had just eaten a nice big meal. That's when venomous reptile permit holder Brian Purdy and his apprentice called in the professionals at Fish and Wildlife. And then they took the lizard to a vet to see if the vet could determine if the escaped exotic lizard had eaten the escaped poisonous snake. The x-rays were inconclusive. Neighbors in Thank You, Ocala, Florida have been advised to stay on the lookout for the deadly cobra. You know, if they happen to see it out there somewhere. I'm Buzz Burbank. Thank you for listening. And thanks for supporting the shows and sponsors at buzzburbank.com. I'll be back next Thursday with another Buzz Burbank news and comment. Buzz, 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 buzz. Buzz, 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 buzz. Buzz, 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 buzz. Buzz, 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 buzz. The preceding presentation was brought to you by The Realm Network.